Welcome to the Woot and Why NFL podcast, proudly brought to you by William Hill, where you'll find faster, easier betting on the NFL. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Woot and Why show. I am Josh Why. No Woot this week. He's down in the south coast enjoying the uh, the sun and the sand and the beach, and it's a perfect week for it as we're in the midst of a of a Sydney heat wave. Not just Sydney, down in Melbourne for the Australian Open as well. Massive, massive heat wave. And uh, look, I, I don't know if I could handle one more Brock Osweiler uh, playoff game in this heat, so I'm glad that that's over. But uh, to talk about all the results cross divisional weekend and and his team unfortunately losing but provided a classic it saved the playoff weekend is RJ Ochoa welcome back to the Wooten Wise show and uh I'm sorry for your loss mate hey um you know it uh it was just as painful as you think it was so I mean there's that very very painful and I can and I understand your pain uh being a cult supporter the amount of times Peyton Manning got us into the lead with a with less than a minute on the clock and, and only for our defense or special teams to, to blow it, um, including one against Mark Sanchez, for Christ's sake. So it, I understand the pain, but uh, as we'll get to it once we start uh, going from game by game, uh, there's a lot to look forward to in Dallas. I'm 8 out of 8 in my picks throughout the playoffs. I'd assume you've got at least one wrong, RJ. Yeah, I have, and I... Um... You know, the only other game I've missed is... Well, I actually missed two others. I took Kansas City. Uh, pretty stunned about that one. But I'm uh, not too stunned. And I was I was just kind of feeling it. You know, sometimes things are going your way. And I, I thought Seattle... I wanted to believe. That's all that happened. And uh, so it was a rough weekend all around uh, for me from uh, from that perspective. But mm. in terms of the betting in terms of the betting lines, though, still went 50-50. And, I mean, hey, that's always a good day. That's always, yeah, always a good day. Uh, eight out of eight, though, I'm not complaining. So we'll wait and see how I can uh, march on next, next week. And uh, hopefully if things go to plan, you'll join me on Friday and we can preview those two games and look at the betting lines. In that one, and you know, you were saying you wanted to believe in Seattle. Uh, it's kind of rough that you guys had to play, you know, a cyborg at playing quarterback, you know, straight off the bat as your first playoff game. And I had an idea to make the playoffs even saucier because I feel like, you know, Dallas had the one seed and they got no advantage out of it. Uh, I don't think yeah. that's that's fair. When you look on the other side of the coin, the the other number one seed got to play the worst quarterback I've ever seen. Um, play in two consecutive <laughs> playoff games, uh, you know, and then you guys face, you know, what some people are calling the the greatest quarterback of all time. It, it's it's tough to it's tough to quantify. So I I think the number one seed should get to choose their opponent after Wild Card so, Weekend. So you're saying in the, in this hypothetical in wise world, yes. the Cowboys would have said, okay, we've got. You know, Packers and Seahawks, we choose whoever. That's how the way it should roll. Yes, exactly. So you say, you know what? Noel Thomas, bad offensive line. We'll take Seattle. Uh, I know we can beat them at home. They're not a good road team. I'll take that. I'll take those chances. And it makes things very dramatic because if you happen to lose that game as well, and for the record, I think you guys would have absolutely destroyed them, uh, you know, it, it kind of 
creates a lot of narrative and a lot of tension. Like, you know, they wanted to play us. They thought we were the easier matchup and, you know, look who's wrong um, sort of thing. And I could even go as far as to do it the wild card weekend so that teams are, you know, that aren't locked into the three seed automatically. They're not resting players in week 16 and 17 because then they get to choose what wild card team they want because I'm sure there's some teams, and we've seen it at the Packers, for example, when they snuck in to the six seed, they won the Super Bowl the last time uh, Rodgers was on a streak like this. So I, I guessing the three seed could either choose, you know, whether they want to play the five or the six seed as well. So before I get to my idea how to revamp this, in hypothetically, you're talking about you can only choose from the lower two seats. So like, let's do wild card weekend from the, the NFC side of things. Seattle couldn't have hypothetically said we want Green Bay. They're they're only choosing from the two wild card teams, not yes. all three teams in the pool. No, that's right because the the three and four seed play obviously the five and six seed. So whoever the right. whoever the three seed was, which was Seattle, uh, they say all right, we want uh, we we yeah actually you know what we're happy to play Detroit. We'll we'll play Detroit rather than the Giants. Yeah, see, I think that you should really make this an elitist type of thing and put all of the power in the one seed. And by that, I mean, so when the six playoff teams are set from a, a seeded perspective, if you want to call it that, the one seed, in this case, the Cowboys and Patriots, they get to pick who they want to play before the playoffs start in the divisional round. So the Cowboys get to look at all five other teams that are in the uh, playoffs in the NFC, say, we want the Lions in the divisional round. So then the Lions get a bye in the wild card round. <laughs> That's and, and, the, and so you, you choose your opponent, but you also advance them a week, if that makes sense. So then the Falcons become the top seed in the wild card round and get the lowest remaining seed. Wow. I think that would really, because you, you talk narratives, now you're, you're purposely advancing a team and giving them that extra week just like you, but at least you got to choose your opponent. I think oh, that's insane. Um, I like the boldness of it, but it, it is that's a bit too far for the me. Bold strategy, Kyle. I like it, and I think you know. Why should we the Lions seen... get a buy? They're terrible. Because, and that's what's crazy. If if you're the Lions in that situation, oh, cool, we got a buy, and you also get two weeks to prepare for the Cowboys, and so that makes that that game between the two respective one seats and whoever they chose must see television because you've got four teams playing on we'll put them on the Sunday of the divisional round that have all had two weeks to prepare in theory that you know you really make the one seed something that you're, you talk about trying to get to you know establish week 17 as worth everybody is dying for the one seed in that you know in that world hmm. interesting I uh, it still doesn't solve our, our uh, problem about how the Patriots still get still get a cakewalk of a scheduled to make the Super Bowl, but we'll, we'll get to that uh, later on in uh, because L. Thomas weighed in on it as well uh, and has copped some backlash for it as uh, my dog Harley's just come up uh, behind me wanting to play while I record. She interrupted me numerous times watching uh, watching the playoffs yesterday. Where did you watch the, the Cowboys game? Uh, I watched it. Uh, I went home for the weekend, and my dad is uh, my best friend. and uh, you, dad. my. You know, uh, my Cowboys watching compadre have watched, you know, hundreds and thousands of Cowboys games together over the course of my life. And, um, you know, considering the way things end or ended, I should say, you know, there, I can honestly say there's no one else in the whole world I would have rather have shared that experience with. So oh, I'm, glad. Know, 
I enjoyed your periscope with your father after the game as well. It was uh, it was good. It was uh, and you guys uh, kept a level head to everything despite uh, some other people in Cowboys world that aren't uh, quite acting the same way. But the championship weekend is set. We've got three future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. We've got the 2016 MVP and first team All Pro quarterback as the fourth quarterback. And uh, so that sounds about right when you when you look about look at things from a quarterback only perspective. Uh, and then for the 13th time in 14 years, the AFC will be represented by either Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, or Peyton Manning. So obviously, uh, that's just an insane stat. And um, a last question before we get into the game by game. You know, the league's old adage is defense wins championships. But this is four teams, and the Cowboys as well, you know, considering that they could have been in the, in, in the spot as well, are all built on elite offenses. Yeah, and... I think we've seen some resurgence of defense over the last few years. Obviously, a season ago, people were quick to, you know, where did the, the 2015 Broncos rank among all-time defenses? This is, we've heard many a time, a passing league, an offensive league. And we haven't seen, I think, the consistent explosion week to week as we have in other seasons. But ultimately, it's this is a quarterback-led league. And, and as you indicated, you have the best four in the final four and, and that's what gets you there you got to have that piece or or a, an all-time defense so it's either 11 studs or one hero really is how it works yeah and I, ultimately I always think that there is at least a mix on these teams and there is some good defenses but it's been a little bit of a weird year for NFL so this doesn't really surprise me that like all four of these defenses aren't very good at all I think overall if you're looking at all four defenses, is there one that you would pick over all the rest? Um, you know, at this point, no. And and there's, I don't think you could pick one across the season that you were thrilled with. Hmm. You know, across all the – if you had to take one defense across the entire season, there were teams that had peaks and valleys. The Vikings were great for a little while. The Texans caught on for a little while. But there was no defense who dominated from, you know, wire to wire. No, exactly, and uh, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, this Texans defense we'll get to in a minute. Um, they could be that wire-to-wire defense next season upon the return of JJ Watt. But uh, let's get straight into divisional round recaps. It's showtime. All right, let's start with the game of the weekend, and that was the Green Bay Packers thirty-four victorious over the Dallas Cowboys thirty-one. It was a classic for the ages. It saved what was been a generally lopsided playoffs uh, so far through two weeks. There was the epic comeback from from the Cowboys and, and very much like a movie script. We saw Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and, and Des Bryant rally this team. Um, the, the rookies were phenomenal, and they tied, they tied the game up at 28-all after a touchdown pass from Prescott to Des Bryant. And, and just quietly on a side note, Des Bryant was just phenomenal in this game, um, absolutely just insane and showed what his value is moving forward as a, as a wide receiver in the NFL. And then... Green Bay responded with a field goal and took a 31-28 to lead with a minute 30 remaining. And then uh, Dan Bailey, one of the best kickers in the league, tied things up at 31-all. But unfortunately, just gave Aaron Rodgers too much time. And on third and 20, he delivers a uh, with 35 seconds left sorry, in, in that drive. And he produced the 36-yard uh, 30, pass to Jared Cook, a, a toe-dragging catch, and put them into field goal range. And, and the rest is, uh, rest is history, and that's what we call a classic in uh in dallas it uh it, it certainly was a classic and i think very easily the the playoff game of, of these playoffs and i would argue 
the best playoff game in two years, save for maybe the Green Bay Packers in Arizona in 2015. Mm. And and this is, you know, these are and this is what you want. I mean, you want two, you know, historic franchises dueling, you know, till the very end and you know, the yin and yang, the Rodgers, the Dak, the the Dez. I mean, it was – I mean, you said Hollywood, and, and and that's what it was. I mean, it, it's the type of game that you remember for the rest of your life, um, even if you don't have an emotional investment. And it, it's um, – you know, it's tough to be on the losing end of, but unlike 2014 between these two teams, you know, when Dez caught it or didn't catch it, however you view that two years ago. Exactly, but – you know, the argument then, at least internally, was, well, hey, you, you didn't, you don't know what would have happened. You know, Aaron could have very well gone down on the Cowboys, that down the field, you know, whatever, and yep. and won the game himself anyway. And so you you ached from that perspective. And we literally got a chance to see, okay, what's Aaron Rodgers going to be able to do with 35 seconds and two timeouts? And, I mean, hey, you um, you know, the guy is, uh, is pompous and arrogant and smug, but Good God, he is one hell of a quarterback. He is, and and being pompous and arrogant and smug is fine when you can play like that. Um, I, I have no issues with athletes being being that way. And he was asked about you know about that pass, and he admitted he's he's thrown better passes. And I kind of like that. I know it's probably not the time for you to to get that sort of rubbed into your face after after a loss, but I appreciate that type of uh, response from from a quarterback when you when you generally get cliched answers from the Russell Wilsons of the world. So. I appreciated that, but from that from that last sort of 35 seconds, the decision for me, which confused me, and you might be able to weigh in a little bit more on, on where it came for, came from, was the spike, the decision to spike the ball. Did that come from Jason Garrett, or, or was that on Dak Prescott? It seems like, you know, it, it was a call from Jason Garrett. Dak said on, on Monday that he didn't question that, I mean, and so... And I think it's fair to look at that in, in hindsight and say, obviously, that stops the clock and that, that gives Aaron Rodgers time. But in the moment when you're trailing by three, I believe Dallas had one timeout left at that moment. I, I still need to rewatch the they, game. They did entirety. have one timeout, yeah. Um, you know, in that moment, your priority is to score. And so I understand that. And while I also understand the hesitation in hindsight, I think the play that's bigger that is lost because of the spike, you know, stops the clock, and that's the big story here, is the third down call because that third down that Dak Prescott gets sacked on, it's it's amazing that the Cowboys refuse to run Zeke in situations like that. You have the NFL's leading rusher in moments like that. It's that third down that if you convert that, you likely either burn more clock or you go score a touchdown and just outright win the thing. Mm. Um, and, and so I think the third down play call when Dak got sacked, I think it was Brian Balaga, um, that, that's what was bigger to me than, than the spike on first down. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to, to see how that all unfolded. And if, it, if, if, if Jason Garrett's decision to spike the ball was because he, he thought that it could go on and win the game rather than just tie the game, then I understand play calling to win the game. But... Um, giving 35 seconds and two timeouts to Aaron Rodgers is just uh, it's just too much time in in today's day and age in in a, in a passing league where every player knows to to get out of bounds and uh, that that throw on third and 20 I, I still can't get over I, and I honestly cannot believe that that uh, Jared Cook was the one that made that catch after we've seen Jared Cook uh, blow so many passes and I've seen so many passes hit his helmet across his uh, NFL career. Yeah, I mean, look, was it a, an amazing throw? Yes. But 
the, the credit on that play belongs to Jared Cook. The the footwork involved in what he did was incredible. I mean, it, it really was. I, I attribute that play's greatness more to Jared Cook than I do to Aaron Rodgers. Oh. And maybe that's just maybe, maybe that's saltiness. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But I believe I believe it was a far more impressive catch than it was a throw. And I mean, you again, because you expect throws like that from Aaron Rodgers. You do not expect Jared Cook to make a catch like that. And, and that's why it was incredible. Yeah, I, I can see it from that perspective in that you don't really expect it from Jared Cook, which makes it far more impressive. But, man, Rogers threw that across his body off one foot, you know, going the other way that he shouldn't shouldn't have been going when you consider the way that he throws the ball. He's better, he's better out, out on the right-hand side rather than rolling left. So it was... Uh, it was pretty incredible, and and then Aaron Rod- uh, Randall Cobb said that he that Rogers told his receivers what to do in that play. He said it was like a kid drawing in the dirt. He told each receiver where to go, and uh, that just adds to the legacy of that play and, and to Aaron Rodgers. Oh, um, give me a break. Oh. Sorry, buddy. I know, I know, I know. It's tough. Um, I was hoping it's, to get you on this it, week with a Cowboys win. It was going to be a fun show, and and Aaron Rodgers is stinking up the joint with his impressive play. I mean, the guy was was unhuman. He really was. But now, you know, this is the part of Aaron Rodgers, and this is honestly independent of the result of this. It's he drew the play in the ground. You mean he told his receivers to run deep because they need to get in field goal range? That's what Aaron Rodgers did. That's the brilliance in the moment. Uh, he told them to get near the out of bounds marker because there wasn't a lot of time left. And, and that's the stuff that gets, uh, you know, gets a little bit, uh, you know, whatever. But hey, the guy balled out he earned every right to uh to add to whatever he wants to because that's what you get to do when you win and Mm. i i will say that i had questioned aaron Rodgers a lot uh i think that this is actually an underrated element to what he's done that was aaron Rodgers' first road playoff win since winning super bowl 45 in that exact same stadium Mm. six years ago huge it's been a while when you think about it that's crazy and and you think he he probably should have won in Seattle if it weren't for Brennan Bostick's Bostick's yeah. helmet. So, you know, you kind of get some things go your way in games, and then it kind of sort of levels out in the end. In this one, um, you know, getting away with a with a Super Bowl uh, with a Super Bowl with a field goal win here to uh, you know get them one game closer to the Super Bowl. So, uh, it is it is interesting that it's been such a long time. But for me, watching him play, I. I He's easily the best player in the NFL right now, and um, you know when you watch him and other quarterbacks play, he, he's throwing the ball like no one else has. And I, I thought Matt Ryan had an absolute blinder, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But Aaron Rodgers on the next game, um, he just can drop the ball better than probably anyone I've seen. Yeah, I mean he's he's from a mechanical standpoint got the the prettiest release and, and the quickest release, and you know. But again, I think we we. We, you know, over-romanticize the things he does. And I also kind of blame it on us because we're all collectively stupid. You know, like Aaron (laughs) Rodgers' ability to assess whether there are 12 men on the field or not. Is every other quarterback in the NFL incapable of counting to 12? Is that, you know, is that the problem? Like, how how has nobody else, you know done this you know and that's like how how do you know or at this point why are you substituting against him if you know that's his thing it's uh but you know what i'll say at one point they showed aaron counting with his fingers you know if i was aaron Rodgers and i had this reputation i would literally do that all the time even when i wasn't just you know to make you think 
that I'm sort of doing that and make you stress out. <laughs> he might have been doing that. He might have just. That's what he should do. He might have been doing that. He probably is because he's a genius and he walks on water and he dates Olivia Munn and he was in X Men in a deleted scene and whatever else. Wait, he was, in, he was in a deleted scene? No, I don't know. Oh, okay. I was just making. Wow, I was about to <laughs> I was about to go and buy that DVD um, because just just to watch that. Um, no, but I you say is every quarterback capable of counting to twelve? The jury's still out on Jared Goff. That's true. That's, that's a, a, a very very fair point. Those, but you know, you went to Cal. Uh, so if Aaron understood that uh, that level of mathematics there, then hopefully he might, uh, he the might be a, he might be a tutor there uh, in Cal shortly um, just to teach math. But um, enough about the Cowboys. Enough about the the Packers. Sorry, let's move on to the Cowboys and where to here with the Cowboys and uh, and you know it was it was just some early drives in this game for the Cowboys just halted by penalties and then there was a, a stupid drop by Terrence Williams. They just sort of stalled some drives early and it put them behind the eight ball and, you know, 21-3 down and, and credit to Dak and Zeke um, for, for getting them tied up and, and putting them, you know, within a real chance of winning this game. So I give them full credit for that. But it just could not get their usual style of game plan. I'm sure they wanted to run the ball more with Zeke Elliott, but when you're down 21-3, you can only run the ball so many times and they still stuck to the run and, and, did, and they have to because Zeke's just so good. But I feel like if, you know, if... If they could have converted on one of those drives, the, the Packers weren't stopping the run, and Zeke, despite his limited carries, had such a big game. Like this could have been a totally different story if they could have converted just maybe on one of those drives instead of being down twenty-one-three. You could have been, you know, down twenty-one-ten or even twenty-one-fourteen at the half and things like that. You would have been able to control the clock a little bit more and kept the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands and probably walk away with a win. Yeah, and, and that, that felt like it was going to be the M.O. going into this game was, well, we're going to run Zeke, we're going to try to dominate time of possession. And, and you're right, I think the early hole sort of changed that game plan. And, and you know, and you said it earlier, credit to Dez for sort of taking over from the aerial perspective of this game. But it did seem once the Cowboys were able to narrow the gap, specifically in the third quarter, it still seemed, you know, like they were apprehensive to, to really feed Zeke. And, you know, maybe that was their downfall. Maybe it was the fact that they were up against this all-timer in Aaron Rodgers. But I think that you look, look back on, on this game and you, you realize that between, you know, your offensive line and your NFL leading rusher, you have four first-round draft picks. And, you know, that's where your stock lies. And you have to use it and utilize it to the degree that you invested. And I don't think that they did. And I don't think, you know, you can sleep peacefully feeling like they, they really gave that a run. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was highlighted by – Zeke's play was highlighted by that spin move on uh, Clay Matthews, which oh. was just stunning. It was absolutely beautiful. The, uh, that, the gif of that is uh, – I've watched that a thousand times. Uh, it pretty much ended his life. Uh, and I'll give the Cowboys credit for not stressing, you know, uh, and Dak threw a, a really bad interception, a really, really, really bad interception. Um, it was a bad play call, and, and he's a rookie quarterback that listens to his coach, and Jason Garrett's done a hell of a job play calling and and, uh, and being a coach and, and directing Dak and helping him in this season, and part of that pick was on Garrett, and, and the spike the ball part was on Garrett, but... You know, there was no temptation, despite all the talk on Twitter about maybe possibly bringing Romo in. Um, we learn a lot about Dak Prescott in this game and his ability and what he's made of. And uh, the future for you guys is looking great because you now have Zeke, Dak, and Dez in this offensive line. You're going to be in the playoffs for 
probably every year barring injury for, for the next decade because you've got a you've got a real gem there in those two players yeah and you know there's a lot of um you know people say there is no moral victories i i don't believe that at all there's certainly moral victories you certainly have a lot of optimism uh from this team especially considering where you were that's what you know i said on ocho live after the game or, or to on monday that this game was kind of a microcosm of the season in that the cowboys started behind the eight ball right away and, and you think about when tony romo went down it it felt like going down 21 to 3 yep. and you know they they rallied back they found a way and ultimately it just wasn't enough and and one team only one team gets to win the super bowl that's what makes it tough but um you know there's a lot to be excited about um and and a lot to glean a lot to um you know press onward with you know bobby belt friend of both of us he wise wisely i think compared this in this game and this performance of deck to russell wilson's rookie year you think about when those seahawks went to atlanta lost in the divisional round and just you know they were a great team you could sense that it just they weren't ready yet and you know hey if you if you can get this close on your first shot i can't wait to see second third fourth fifth and and so on exactly uh i think that's just a wise tweet from bobby belt uh he's been tweeting at an elite level uh, almost rogers like level uh the last couple of weeks uh from him so i i couldn't couldn't agree more with that i think that's a perfect analogy and you've got the stock there on offense and you know you've seen some other players really come into their own this year cole beasley is another one. Uh, Byron Jones has been great. So you, you build on that draft well like you have the last few years. And, uh, you know, this defense with some players added, Sean Lee was healthy all year, which is which is great signs. It's, it's, it's pointing in, in firmly in the right direction. And now you've just got to handle now this offseason of where will Romo land talk. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's exciting. Honestly, I mean, it really is exciting. And so you're this great team and you have this big trade chip at your disposal and i mean honestly you're kind of king of the castle in that regard and so while you have to put up a little bit of drama ultimately it's probably going to net you something that you're going to use a whole lot and have a lot of fun doing don't forget jalen smith either exactly he's uh yeah he's due to come back which would just make this draft class of yours all time uh how many over under eight romo pieces in the offseason for uh rj ochoa Oh, man. Well, eight is perfect because I am Ocho, and that is uh, Spanish for eight. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to take the over to make it a poetic nine. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, that, that's how it'll be done. Yep. Uh, any last thoughts on the Cowboys-Packers game before we move on to the rest of the action from Divisional Weekend? I mean, obviously, I'm extremely biased in this regard. My hat goes off to the Green Bay Packers, and I, you know what? I hope they talk a lot of trash, and I hope that they, you know, rub it in our faces because I tell you what, if we had won, I would do the exact same thing. And they have every right to say they own us. They've beaten us in our last two playoff games. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has, has forced me to eat a lot of crow, grilled, <laughs> fried, blackened, how, however it is. Um, and you know, I hope Matt Ryan beats them by a thousand points, but ultimately, um, this season, you know, was one hell of a ride. And I think that you focus on that, you, you learn from it, you cherish it. And you know, we love this game because it comes back to us every fall, uh, fall here in the United States, at least. And, um, you know, we will move on and next year we'll be here and we'll have fun with it. And Madden will come out and everything. And, uh, I, I don't know that I've been this excited in a, in a long time about an off season and, and getting towards the future. But um, you know, I once heard or read that if losing didn't hurt so bad, then winning wouldn't feel so good. And, mm. and so, 
I um I believe that to be true, and I believe at some point, you know, I'll be back on the Wooten Why show, and we'll be talking about how it was worth it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, would it have been worth it maybe to take the Atlanta approach and maybe bring a little bit of JoJo and Jordan uh, on the sideline, you know, Dallas locals, uh, just to get under Aaron Rodgers' skin, get into his head? Man, you know, that was an advantage that we should have, you know, taken. And then also put Chris Brown on the sidelines, who dated Olivia Munn. Uh, you know, we should have gone all in yep. uh, from that perspective, if you ask me, but you know, that's that's why we fell short. That's yep. why we're not the Falcons. Exactly. And speaking of the Falcons, they, they whipped the Seattle Seahawks 36-20. to 20. Just absolutely phenomenal ass-whipping from Atlanta Falcons in the second half. Even though it wasn't ass-whipping, you still had in the back of your mind, you, you just couldn't count out this Seahawks team after some miraculous comebacks. Um, you know, one against the Green Bay Packers, who we just talked about. Uh, with some off, uh, onside kick luck and and whatnot, so you just you could never count them out. But uh, it it was an interesting start to this game. You know, the the Seahawks. Uh, I, I questioned Dan Quinn's def- decision to defer, given that they're the number one offense in the NFL. And you thought you know can get some points on the board early and really shut down this Seattle D. That'll be a good start. But uh, they decided to defer, and Seattle went on this eight minute scoring drive. And you thought, oh, hang on here, they're controlling the clock. They're up early if they can force a punt here and, and, and get up and things this we're on for a game here but then ultimately that sort of came back to bite them as uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis swung the game heavily in, in Atlanta's favor I've never seen a, a penalty swing a game so much uh, early on in a game really I've seen penalties you know we'll, we'll get to Eric Fisher in a minute and, and other there's I'm sure there's plenty of examples in history but Kevin Pierre-Lewis uh, gets called up on a holding penalty on, on the kick return, negates Devin Hester's 80-yard punt return. So instead of uh, Seattle setting up on the 7-yard line for a commanding 17-7 lead, Russell Wilson gets tripped by his offensive lineman and Ben Garland jumps on it, and uh, it's a safety in the end zone. So it's uh, it changed that. It was a 12-point swing because it went the other way, and then ultimately the Falcons got the field goal and then a 99-yard drive to close out the half, and then they, uh, they got the ball back in the third quarter and had a lengthy touchdown drive in 26-10 and pretty much marched on with it from there but it was a very entertaining game it was um you know it was a good start to the divisional round and i i believe the two best weekends uh counting saturdays obviously in sports are the divisional round of the nfl playoffs and the masters weekend and so i was really looking forward to this and this got things started but you're right i mean my dad and i were saying on the show i mean that penalty i mean just you know people talk about momentum and, and all those sorts of tales and narratives but it really did you know it was a catalyst that, that just you know really sort of tore the the seahawks and their chances apart because you're right at the beginning of the game you were thinking all right these guys came here to play they're gonna they're gonna go toe-to-toe with, with the, the high-powered atlanta falcons offense but I mean, when you take on these guys, you have to just, I mean, build a wall of points and hope the Falcons can't reach over it because they are going to get theirs at some point or another. This offense is, I mean, I I don't know that I think it's unstoppable, but whatever is, you know, take the E off of unstoppable and it's that. Like, it's not fully unstoppable. It's just the whole word (laughs) without the final letter. It's just badly spelled unstoppable. Um, Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's probably the best offense since that, uh, the Peyton Manning Broncos record-breaking offense obviously got walloped in the Super Bowl by Seattle, but that Seattle defense was peak Seattle defense. That was when they were at their absolute highest of highs in the way they were playing. They weren't beat up. They weren't injured against 
New England in the Super Bowl. They weren't missing L. Thomas like they were on Saturday. So that's that was a different story. But in terms of this offense, they're just across the park. It's just phenomenal. And, and Matt Ryan is taking full advantage of, of all the players. He's not just feeding Julio. Everyone sort of buys into this narrative that he's just good because of Julio. But he's hitting, you know, Levine Toilolo. On, and, and he dropped an absolute... It could have been a touchdown as well, uh, Toilolo. But he... he He's hitting Levine Toilolo. He's using Aldrick Robinson. And then he's got these these dual running backs in Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman who are just just electric. And I, it, there was a drive, I can't remember, I think it was the third quarter drive, and Ryan hit Mohamed Sanu on, on, a, on a deep pass, Julio Jones on a deep pass, and I thought they've just hit them two deep passes in a row. I really think they'll, they'll bring out Tevin Coleman here just to mix it up a little bit. And, and they did that. And you know, after leading, leading, you know, taking those two deep hits, Tevin Coleman just was so fast and just twelve yard gain, thirteen yard gain, and it just there's just so many ways that these this this offense can convert third downs, and they average over a field goal a drive. So you better hope that you're at least getting points every time you touch the ball against these Falcons team because they're going to score. They're going to score. They're going to score it well. You have to accept. It. I mean, it's going to take a thirty point effort just to contend with these guys and you talk about Tevin Coleman I mean, remember the days you know in, in early 2015 when Devonta Freeman was behind him on the depth chart yeah I mean it's a ama- it's amazing what that Tevin Coleman injury I believe it was in New York maybe week two of 2015 how that you know we talked catalyst how that was a catalyst for the birth of this offense because then Devonta Freeman got into the fold so on and so forth but an underrated element I mean because you're right it isn't just Julio Jones who is magnificent Mohamed Sanu. I mean, you could argue that this is the the greatest free agent signing of the of last offseason. Just because you finally get a capable body that isn't decrepit like Roddy White opposite of Julio Jones to make this offense, you know, masterful and masterfully executed by Matt Ryan. I've long been uh, a pretty heavy critic of Matt Ryan's if I'm being totally honest here, which I always am with my buddy Josh Y. Yep. And you know, <laughs> I was critical of Matt Ryan out of Tony Romo defense because I felt like they were similar players, similar stories, but Matt Ryan didn't get half the criticism that Tony got. And that comes with, you know, being the quarterback of the Cowboys. Mm. And it's it's for that reason that I'm I'm all in on these guys. I, I long wanted vindication for Tony Romo so people could finally accept and understand that he was a great and phenomenal quarterback. I want this for Matt Ryan. I am all aboard the Matty Ice Express. Yes. I'm only gonna I'm only gonna drink uh drinks with ice. This week, uh, in in symbolic, uh, solitary sort of teamsmanship for him, and uh, I want the Falcons to freaking do this thing. They, they're just they're <laughs> so fun to watch. They, they are. are so fun to watch. I've been uh, I've been high on them and high on Matt Ryan. I, I'm a huge Matt Ryan fan. Um, I have been for years, and I and I'm also a Tony Romo fan and a Philip Rivers fan for the exact same reason. Is these quarterbacks and and Matt Ryan probably didn't, didn't cop as much criticism as Tony Romo, and you're absolutely right, and that comes into that because he plays in Atlanta and still most TV TV networks don't actually realize the Atlanta Falcons exist. Um, they're not one of the eight teams that they cover. So I, I agree. But I, these quarterbacks, I always find myself really rooting for, for the Matt Ryans and the Tony Romos and the Phil Rivers of the world because they've been great their whole career. They just haven't played on truly elite teams or been blessed of, of having someone like Bill Belichick be their coach for their entire career right. and play in the same scheme and, and have just insane help around them. They've always been very good, and obviously Matt Ryan hasn't been this good, but it, it's just 
he's just he's always been a good player. It's just he's just taken his play to a next level, and part of that is a huge part of that is his combination with with Kyle Shanahan. It's just been dynamite, and uh, he's now the favorite for the 49ers job with McDaniel's reportedly withdrawing out of that. So um, even though Shanahan will be gone next season, I'm sure that the, the makings are there in place for, for that offense to still be great next season. And you're right. They are just so damn fun to watch, and uh, I, I like the only drinking drinks with ice in them this week. I think that's a it's a great plan. It's a great uh, it's a great idea. It's um it's hey man, you know you do what you can. I, I have three real reasons why I want this to happen for the Falcons, and one is because I can't remember the last time a quarterback wore number two and won the Super Bowl, and I'm quite the <laughs> Super Bowl historian. Uh, so that's one of them. Uh, two is. You know, we forget, but Matt Ryan has, you know, you talk Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, guys that have to live up to shadows. Matt Ryan living in the Michael Vick shadow, and it would be pretty sweet if he could finally, you know, put an exclamation point on things. But three, I've been to the Georgia Dome. I know they pump in fake crowd noise because they can be losers from time to time. But how cool is it that in their final season they get to host the NFC Championship? What a I mean, way, you know. What a way to, to see that out. It's, uh, it's, it's just a great way to farewell the Georgia Dome. Imagine it with a victory. It would just be Yeah. Just be amazing. I mean Yeah, and you know that like every Falcons fan, all fourteen of them, before the season were like, Oh yeah, I mean we're gonna close this stadium out with the NFC championship game. And then the other you know, the three that are really quiet were like, Oh, sure. All right, guys. But pretty cool for them that it actually happened. Yep. And uh the the best thing about you being on the podcast this week is Woot's not co hosting and he's not a not a huge Matt Ryan fan. So I can I can rattle off these Matt Ryan stats that I found um, and just get appreciated for them, um, and they're not ones that I've made, but I just I just want to say them. Uh, so the Seahawks have played 126 games under Pete Carroll, um, and Matt Ryan's the only quarterback to record 300 plus yards, three passing touchdowns, and zero interceptions versus Carroll. Uh, he's 100. He's Matt Ryan's 11.8 yards per attempt under pressure, are the most against the Seahawks defense in a playoff game in the last 10 postseasons. Matt Ryan can break the NFL record for most consecutive games with 120-plus passer rating. He's currently tied with Russell Wilson's 2015 season and Philip Rivers' 2014 season for that record. And Matt Ryan now has the highest career completion percentage in NFL playoff history with 66.96% in the playoffs. So some hugely impressive numbers, and I think that passer rating record might be in doubt because... Julio Jones against this uh, Green Bay secondary, and we're going to talk about this on Friday, but you, you saw Des Bryant go off. Julio Jones can really go off against Ladarius Gunter and co. there uh, in this matchup. But uh, he's in doubt with a, with a toe injury, but Dan Quinn said that uh, he'll be ready to rock uh, versus the Packers on Sunday. <laughs> ready to rock. Yes. I like it. It's an interesting thing. And, I, you know, a lot of this game was, uh, you know, a lot of, like, there's, you see a lot of the Seahawks in the Falcons a little bit in terms of Dan Quinn being a, a Pete Carroll protege. Keanu O'Neill has a signed Cam Chancellor jersey in his locker, and he's a bit of a Cam Chancellor protege. And then you know you've got the, your Vic Beasleys and this this rejuvenated Falcons D having the energy of your Michael Bennetts and and Cliff Averills that uh, that were going. But you, you hope that they don't act the same way next week if they are losing to Green Bay like like Seattle did. Uh, down 16 here. They they imploded. Um, they got very dirty, very aggravated. Um, seeing Frank Clark get very upset at the way he was being handled is is uh, very ironic, uh, given his history. Uh, Michael Bennett was seen trying to eye gouge uh, Ryan Schrader. I do love that uh, Schrader dog just uh, 
just getting under Michael Bennett's skin, just kept saying, that's a touchdown, that's a touchdown. After every touchdown, just whispering it into Michael Bennett's ear. I do love that. But they they are very sore losers, and they become very unlikable for it. Yeah, and I mean, I I think that, you know, I handled my stuff graciously, all things considered. I had my little spat about Aaron Rodgers. But, you did. I mean, <laughs> if, if, you, if you, but, you know, I said, I, I said, you know. You I gave him credit. Back, yeah, and, and I said, I hope they talk a lot of trash because they earned it. They earned that right. And if anybody talks trash in the NFL when they win, it's the Seahawks. And, Absolutely. And that's my point there is, you know, when the Cowboys are blowing out teams, I was all, you know, check the check my Twitter feed. I mean, I was all ablaze talking trash. And so now we got to eat a lot of it. And that's what happens. And the Seahawks have an inability to do that. I actually, I loved the Seahawks when they won the Super Bowl. They were a lot of fun. I think a lot like the Cowboys this year. I mean, you know, you could sense that young, you know, nucleus getting great, but they've slowly become less likable as Russell has really become more robotic since In the then. wrong way. And <laughs> right. And, and you're right that these, these guys are just sore losers. They, they act like, you know, like children. And it's come on, you know, and that's what's annoying. Michael Bennett specifically, because I like him know, as well. I, I generally, I, I find him very entertaining. But this this was just a bit too far for me. In, in, in swearing at a reporter, and I have the excerpt here, just swearing nonstop. I don't want to read through it, but he he uh, basically said, you know, what adversity have you been through to to a reporter that's that's had Hodgkin's lymphoma? Yeah, I mean, we we're come both on, big man. fans of we're both big fans of the Around the NFL podcast. I think if you remember what he said to, to Dan Hansis after they lost the Super Bowl, uh, you know, what, questioned his manhood. I mean, literally. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's it, I mean, be better, you know, be better. And that's why the, the Seahawks, they just have that spoiled, rotten, petulant, bitter, petty Pete Carroll, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, sort of image to them. It's annoying. It is very annoying. And I but it's it's it's. It's annoying in the fact that I actually generally like watching them play because they're they're a tough team and I love watching Richard Sherman play, and I still love Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett. I, I find them very you know when they actually are taken away you know during the week or off a, not even you know instead of after a loss I like what they have to say. I listen. I find them different. I find Richard Sherman when he speaks about the NFL and Roger Goodell very uh, very honest and forthcoming, and he's a very intelligent person. Um, and, and there's nothing to suggest Sherman was, was petty or sour after this loss, and it's been reported that he's actually played with an, with an injury all year. So that's um, you know pretty admirable from him to, to hang in there and, and play all season long. But it, it just it, it made that victory for the Falcons, considering that they're sort of the baby brothers, um, it, it made that a little bit sweeter knowing that, uh, that uh, the Seahawks, uh, you know, they get a little bit... You know it hurts them when they lose that way. So it was... I hope they learn from that. I'm sure Michael Bennett will come out and apologize and probably reach out personally to that journalist and, and, and make good for it because I probably think that you, you probably don't want to leave that hanging out there like that. No, but I will say if any team is going to leave it hanging out there like that, it's this team. Yep. And, you know, that that's why they're so unlikable. I, I'm with you, though. I love Richard Sherman because that yep. dude, when he loses, he, he accepts it and, yeah. you know. And when he and he when he wins, he's you mad, bro. Straight in Brady's face. And then when he loses, it was the first thing he shook shook Tom Brady's hand straight after that that win uh, and uh, after that loss in the Super Bowl. So he he's a guy that I that I respect and and I appreciate and I uh, hope he recovers well for for them. On the flip side of the coin, how fun was it to see Arthur Blank dancing in the locker room after what he's been through the last few years with his 
treatment and everything. Uh, he still looks like an absolute, like a vampire mafia member. Um, but he just is so funny and, and genuine and, and watching him dance with his teammates was a really, really cool uh, video to watch. Arthur Blank, I mean, as a Cowboys fan, I'm, I'm kind of used to this with, with Jerry Jones. I know you don't get a lot of Jim Irsay dancing around, but so it, it's it's hard to see that as unique, although I realize that multiple people like to dance in this world. Uh, but yeah, good for Arthur Blank. Party, man, dance. Yeah. You're hosting the NFC Championship game. Go nuts. You know? <laughs> Sing a song, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. I like it. He looks like Count Chocula's uncle or dad or grandfather. I don't know. He looks like a vampire. He, he looks like, um, you know, like I think of like like a gentleman, you know, because like, he wears like a, a, a suit vest. Yep. You know, like who, who actually rocks the vest with their suit except for Arthur Blank? A <laughs> uh, last little thing on this game was uh, I had a little exchange with a, with a Twitter follower and a, a, she's one of my favorite Twitter followers, and uh, I talk to her a lot on Twitter, at uh, Phoebe Beyonce, um, and she was making some jokes about Matt Ryan's name, and I, I'm going to read some out here. I just want you to figure out what you think's the best one here. There's a few here. She said, when he orders Chinese takeout, is he Matty Rice? When he finds some nits in his hair, is he Matty Lice? When he's con- conducting a genetic experiment, is he Matty Splice? When he's eating chili, is he Matty Spice? When he's playing craps, is he Maddie Dice? When he's at the pet store, is he Maddie Mice? When he serves himself a pizza pizza, is he Maddie Slice? If he's in Miami, is he Maddie Vice? What is the best one out of all those? Man, the pizza. I think the pizza. I, I mean, I'm going to go in, with pizza on anything. And uh, a slice. They're all actually the best one's the first one, whatever it is, because that's the most original. It's yeah. like on the eighth one, it was like, ah, I see what you're doing. Yeah. But the first one was amazing. The Chinese takeout. All right, I'll, uh, I'll let her know that she won that uh, little exchange there. Uh, the last thing as well on this game is where to now for Seattle. Obviously, get healthy. Get Earl Thomas back. Um, that was a huge, huge loss. Uh, you know, Richard Sherman, Dijon Shedd, uh, they need to recover from their injuries. And they've uncovered a gem in Paul Richardson who still just seems to be making incredible catches. So uh, three wide receiver sets next year with Richardson Lockett and uh, Doug Baldwin are something to look forward to. But they, they really need to build up that O-line. And, you know, he was pressured... Uh, 20 out of 39 dropbacks, uh, Russell Wilson. So they need to to build up that offensive line. But they're going to be thereabouts again next year. You have no doubts with with the way that Russell Wilson plays football. Yeah, I mean, two things for me. You know, that Jimmy Graham trade looks so dumb in, in hindsight. I mean, I, they miss Max Unger just because he's a, an offensive lineman and Agreed. they don't have any. And yep. you know, so that that yielded nothing. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I agree with you that they're going to be back for no reason other than Russell Wilson and their division. And while I agree with Earl Thomas that Tom Brady has a ridiculous easy route to the playoffs, yo, Earl Thomas, you've got Jared Goff, Blaine Gabbard, and a Cardinals, you know, team that's really struggling that's hanging on to Carson Palmer. I mean, you're yeah. you're not, you know, going through the deepest of trenches either, Earl Thomas. Relax. We'll get we'll get to that in a second. All right, let's let's talk about uh, that game. The New England Patriots thirty four, Houston Texans sixteen. Oh, by the way, Devin Hester likely retiring. Still had a game for the ages in his last game. Uh, full credit to him. And um, if if he's good enough in the Hall of Fame, want to put someone in there on just the return game alone. Devin Hester's got to be the Number one candidate for that, right? A show. Yep. All right, so the New England Patriots, they, they win 34-16. They play horribly, still cover the spread. Um, they had plenty of turnovers and, and gave Texans plenty of opportunity 
to win this game, and, and Brady was not great in this game, and we'll get to that in a second, but just Brock Osweiler just stinks. He's just terrible. He he um gotta be kidding me. I mean, he's just holds this WTF offense hostage. Um, he's, he just can't throw outside the numbers efficiently and just just anchors his team down. It's like trying to operate a cruise liner by just having like three or four anchors in the sand. Yeah, I mean, you said holds his offense hostage, and you and I have talked before about players that are trapped by their teams. I think Andrew Luck is one of them. You know, and believe me, I'm, I'm of the salty. I'm of the salty variety this week, but you know, no, no offense there. Todd Gurley's kind of one of those guys. The entire Houston Texans team <laughs> is is trapped by Brock Osweiler, and, and like, and, and so like, imagine you know, I, I reference Andrew Luck. Imagine if Andrew Luck and Brock Osweiler switched positions. Oh boy, you know, I mean, that team would be unstoppable. I mean, it's it's sad. It's I I hate the Texans, and it's infuriating watching this. It's offensive. To just not even not even the sport, but to athleticism, the ancient Greeks of the Olympic, you know, ages would be offended by Brock Osweiler's lack of athleticism. It's ironic that uh, Brock Osweiler's lack of offense is offensive. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's the only way he's offensive. Yes, in, in in offensive nature. Yes, uh, he finished twenty three out of forty for one hundred and ninety eight yards and, and a touchdown and three interceptions, forty seven point seven rating and. A lot of those numbers were sort of helped by some garbage time stuff as well. But he missed throws high, low, short, in any variety, you name it, he missed throws. But I will mention this, like, despite all of that and and st- despite how bad he played, he still had two really good throws that and should have been touchdowns dropped. And CJ Fedorovic dropped one that, you know, that's a 50-50 one. But the, the, the Will Fuller one was the best pass I've ever seen Brock Osweiler make in his career. They are down 24-13. If Will Fuller hangs on to that... You're looking at 24-20, and, and with the minute left in the third quarter, like this game is far from over, and it, it just changed the whole fabric of this game. I, I want to ask you, what what quarterback, what, what is the worst quarterback the Texans could have had just to beat New England in this game? Because they were bad. Um, like, as a minimum, like I asked on Twitter, like would Brian Hoyer from last year, would they have won against the Patriots if they had Brian Hoyer, or maybe a, a quarterback just to tear up? Well, you know, first of all, Will Fuller does deserve a lot of blame. And you're right, the C.J. Fedorowicz pass, who, you know, C.J. Fedorowicz really kind of came of age this season. But, you know, if Brock's going to throw two good passes every 40 throws, Jesus Christ, you know, we've got some problems. (laughs) But, um, you know, I I think if you're talking, and we'll we'll be legitimate here, I think Geno Smith beats the Patriots. Wow. I mean... I, I think Geno Smith beats the page. That's probably the lowest. I'm I thought I was go. going. I thought I was going hot with the uh, with uh, Brian Hoyer, but uh, maybe not. I mean, maybe if I'm not saying Geno Smith, I think Case Keenum can do it. You wow. know, I, I think. I mean, it's you know that's where we are at here. Yeah. I mean, this is this is beyond embarrassing. Uh, I wish we could get. Bill O'Brien's diatribe on Hard Knocks now, because if the one we had when he was first on was incredible, this would be legendary. Oh, it'd be amazing! And the reason that they probably could have won with Brian Hoyer is that their offense, uh, their defense was was phenomenal. Jadavian Clowney is just seriously amazing, and I, you know, th- he's just the the term "bust" was being thrown around. He's just kicked that to the storm and has just destroyed it. He's murdered the term "bust" in relation to his career. Um, and he's proven that he's probably worth that number one overall pick. I'm sure if you were still 
drafting today, you'd take someone like Derek Carr and Khalil Mack over him, but I don't think you'd take anyone else at this point from that class over the way Jadavian Clowney is and the upside. Um, he, he could ha- still end up having a better career than Khalil Mack at this point, but the, the D-line next yeah, season I, I is mean, crazy. Yeah, for sure, and, and I think Derek Carr, if you redo that draft, is probably the number one overall pick, especially if you line up the teams the same way, but yep. I don't know, man. I don't know if, if Khalil, I mean, Khalil really took a, a leap in 2015, but but Jadevion really nailed that gap and maybe is yeah. an inch ahead. I and mean, just after the, he, he was, he was marvelous. He really, really was. Yep. And you've got now what clowny and merciless next season. And then you've also got this unsung hero in DJ reader. I feel like he's not getting enough love. He was, he was really, really good uh, in this game and has been good the last sort of six to eight weeks. So that's a really stout um, defensive line. And they, they hammered Brady and he struggled. Brady struggled in most of those games. He 18 of 38, he had two picks. Um, he was just constantly under under assault. He just cannot handle pressure at all, whereas Aaron Rodgers and, and, and Matt Ryan and Ben Roethlisberger can handle that pressure. Brady can. Brady just turns to, to water lately. Um, generally, you, you trust him to handle it, but you know he, he actually looked old for the first time in a while. Yeah, and, and I think this was the biggest test uh, defensively, he's faced since the 2015 AFC Championship game against the Broncos. You know, really kind of similar. Not not putting the Texans, you know, on no, that in level. Terms but, of, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so it was. I mean, it was humbling, you know, and uh, it, it was weird to watch, but it was frustrating to watch, and it was, you know, kind of indicative of who they are. I honestly think. I don't know that I I fully believe this, but I think if you were talking about the entire two teams, 22 starters, I think Tom Brady might be the only Patriot who's who's better than Ed Texan at his respective position. Oh, I think maybe, you know, I guess, you know, you, you have DeAndre Hopkins, but outside of Hopkins, I think you would still take all the, the all the Pats' skill guys, um, maybe you'd, maybe Lamar Miller over Deion Lewis, but Deion Lewis had, had himself a day. It looks like the main weapon of choice moving forward for this team. I think that's the offense is going to revolve around Dion Lewis because it suits Brady's short passing game and the way that he likes yeah. to play football um, in in the latter end of his career. Although he did throw a lot of deep passes in this game, and and that was kind of the difference between the Texans and that Broncos defense is that you know the the Texans could match the Broncos heat up front in the front seven in terms of pressure and 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 efficiency as rushing the passer, but they just didn't have the likes of Akeem Talib and and Chris Harris Jr. in their secondary. They had. Uh, apart from AJ Boy, they had Kareem Jackson getting just beat by Chris Hogan and, and Julian Edelman all, all game. Although one day maybe Edelman might get called for an offensive pass interference. Maybe one day he will. He, he gets away with it all the time because he's small and white. I don't understand it, but he just seems to get away with offensive pass interference all the time. But it's just crazy that, that the Patriots are in the AFC Championship game and that's the only thing they've had to face is just a lackluster... Houston offense and you know L Thomas we just mentioned before he called them out he said Tom Brady has the easiest route um, put his ass in our division and see what he does now if you take the if you take the last part out of that I agree with L Thomas 100% instead of saying his division which you're right the Rams and, and 49ers please and and 57 year old Carson Palmer I get it but Tom Brady has had the easiest route to this game I've ever seen you know it's just they haven't beaten anyone good all season since Brady's come back from suspension. The best quarterback they faced was a loss to Russell Wilson at home after they had the bye and the Seahawks had a short week. And the best quarterback they beaten is Andy Dalton. Like, it just seems crazy. They're absolutely lucky 
Or do you think the mantra of you make your own luck is at play here, or do you just think they're flat-out lucky? Well, I'll say that I think the best quarterback they've beaten is Joe Flacco. First of all, let's defend Joe Flacco a second. Andy, Dal- Andy Dalton's played better this season than Joe Flacco. That's probably fair, but it's not as much fun to say Andy Dalton is elite as it is to say Joe Flacco is elite. So that was my my logic there. Okay, but um, I just want to I just but, wanted to reinforce that Andy Dalton has outplayed Joe Flacco this season um, because I'm, I've got a I've got a friend that listens to this show that's uh, you know Joe Flacco's biggest fan and. It pains him to hear that uh, Andy Dalton's outplayed Joe Flacco this season. <laughs> well, then, you know what? Then I, I rescind my point. Uh, Andy, <laughs> Andy Dalton has, has severely outplayed Joe Flacco. Andy Dalton is the second best quarterback in the NFC North. AFC North, excuse me. <laughs> but, um, look, th- this is a, a complicated thing because independent of who they play, the New England Patriots are one of the best teams in across sports this century that's true that's That's not at all not at all denying that but beyond that they are aided by ridiculous fortune and this season is is a microcosm of that i mean you're right who who have they who have they been challenged by nobody and and it's in the the luck that that's a fair word to use because the week they played the steelers what happened ben roethlisberger's out i mean you know and it played the bills without the mccoy yeah it's um it's just it's an unfair advantage to give to the team that of all teams does not need it. Um, And so so you're right. I mean, and I sit here as a Cowboys fan, having been bounced from the playoffs because we were we're a number one seed. We should, in theory, have the exact same advantage as they do. But instead of Brock Osweiler, we're dealing with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's 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 insane. Infuriating. Yeah. It is absolutely insane, and they'll have a, a better test next next week against the Ben Roethlisberger-led team. But the like, I saw a tweet from Scott Kazmaier from uh, Football Outsiders, fantastic writer, fantastic follower. He said, but, he said between those two, the best quarterback either of those teams beaten this season is Kirk Cousins. So uh, it is interesting that when you when you think about things, and we'll get to the Steelers in just one sec. And I just want to mention as well, in the last point on this game, outside of the Patriots struggling and, and the Texans falling short is that uh, Vince Wilfork is likely going to retire. And uh, I think he's probably at the moment, my favorite Patriots player of all time. I love Vince Wilfork. I've always loved Vince Wilfork. I think Gronk might eventually take over uh, Wilfork in my rankings by the time he retires, but um, it's, it's sad to see Vince Wilfork go, but he's uh, been a, a, has had a hell of a career and it's been an absolute joy to watch uh just eight gaps in the in the middle of the field all season. He's he's killed the Colts a few times. He's a lot of fun, and I enjoy Vince Wilfork. And I will duck and cover for the moment after I say this. My personal favorite Patriot, aside from Tom Brady, because you got to respect the dude's greatness. I I kind of like Julian Edelman because he kind of embodies uh. the like the, the Boston you know attitude, and I I. I I identify him the most with the Patriots. It's kind of the answer I'm, I'm think, sort of carving here. I think he's a d- um, <laughs> he, oh, I mean, obviously not. But the other reason, and maybe maybe I'll, I'll earn some favor back with you, I was never supremely in love with Wes Walker. And Julian Edelman has kind mm-hmm. of kicked Wes Walker's image to the curb a bit. And so for that, hey, good yeah. job, Julian. Well, you couldn't have more of a difference. You know, Wes Walker has the personality of a wet cabbage, and, and Edelman at least has some, some personality. But uh, I just think... You know, Odell Beckham cops so much heat, while Julian Edelman just seems to f- to escape all sorts of heat, despite acting in very similar fashion in in certain situations. All right, we're running very very long, so let's uh, wrap things up here with this last game: the Pittsburgh Steelers eighteen, Kansas City Chiefs sixteen. And the reason we're running long is just because it's the be- one of the best weekends in football. 
And me and RJ just love talking football. But the Steelers, uh, they pretty much win in in the most Jeff Fisher fashion. Uh, Jeff Fisher would absolute <laughs> dream in life would be to to be the first team in NFL history to win a playoff game despite their opponent's, opponent scoring at least two or more touchdowns than them. They win on just field goals. Chris Boswell set a single-game postseason record with six field goals, the second time he's kicked six in one game this season, and they win 18-16. And the Steelers are now the sixth team to win a playoff game without scoring a touchdown. My uh, 2006 Colts were the last team uh, to do that, and it's worth noting that all five previous winners went on to the Super Bowl or an NFL championship. So that's a stat well, for you. If you want something... And correct me if I'm wrong, not to interrupt, but didn't the Colts, those six Colts, also do that in the divisional round and also move on to face the New England Patriots in the AFC championship game, much like the Pittsburgh Steelers yes, are doing? Yes, and they famously won in the greatest NFL game in history. Um, no <laughs> bias there. Um, and uh, went on to win the Super Bowl. So uh, it it was a momentous uh, run, and I uh, wonder if the Steelers can repeat it. If they're going to repeat it, it's going to be on the back of Le'Veon Bell. He had 166 yards in this game and managed to bypass Arian Foster for the most rushing yards uh, with 337 in a, play- in a player's first two playoff games. He's authoring one of the greatest stretches we've ever witnessed by a running back. He's amassed 14,300... Sorry... 1,400. He may as well have. Um, If he if he wasn't so patient, he'd have 14,000. But uh, no, he has 1,431 yards from scrimmage over the last eight games. And I apologize for Chris Westling. I just that was a beautiful line that he uh, written, and I stuffed it up by getting the the math wrong. And the O line deserves a ton of credit for this. You know, Villa Villa Neva and and. uh, I've just f- completely forgotten their guard's name, the, the one from Stanford. That he's just been uh, David DeCastro. Yeah, I got you. yeah, they've they've just been phenomenal. But uh, the two point difference was Eric Fisher's holding penalty. So Spencer Ware scored a touchdown, closed the Chiefs' def- def- uh, deficit. I've just forgotten how to speak. Eighteen uh, sixteen with less than three minutes to play, and then on a ensuing two point conversion attempt, Alex Smith found Demetrius Harris in the back of the end zone to tie the game. And then uh, it was short-lived as uh, a yellow flag was on the field and Fisher was caught for holding on Steelers linebacker James Harrison. Uh, you know, Chiefs fans can whinge, complain all they want, but the call was legit. It was fine, and Fisher pretty much tackled James Harrison to the ground, and that's that was the difference in this game. Yeah, it really was. And in terms of the flag, I I have a big problem with flags that happen completely and totally away from the play. You know, like if you've got illegal contact 30 yards away on, on a play that's a run play and something like that, like I really hate those. This kind of flag I can live with, you know, because it directly affected what exactly. would have been a successfully converted two-point conversion. Um, this was, uh, I believe, a very highly rated game on NBC, the last true Sunday night football game we will get of the season, considering it was an NBC game. Yeah, it got moved back um, late, which is going to be a win for us here in Australia because it's talk now that they're going to move all the playoff games to a much later time slot because it just rates so well and it just means that we can sleep in now. No 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Hey. starts. So, you know, huzzah! Hey, we're doing it for you, man. We're making moves Thank for you. our friends down under. But um, this, uh, I mean, look, I was obviously in, in an emotional wreckaged uh, state during this game. And so why? What happened? Not- you really, why we're, we're pals you know? <laughs> sorry man we, we, and anyway um you know so a little bit a little bit comatose watch this game a little bit numb uh but still i i love the chiefs and i 
I kind of wanted to see him take on the Patriots just to get some revenge for the 2015 divisional round. Um, but I am excited as a, you know, as a friend of Josh Y at least that the new England Patriots will get this tough test in the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, we talked about the Falcons offense at nauseum, but I hate the killer bee name. It's really unoriginal, but I love watching Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. They are just, you know, Hey, it, it's fun. And, um, yeah, I saw the Steelers in person when, when the Cowboys played them this season, they're, they're a good team. And, you know, you want a team like this playing for it all. But James Harrison is not human. I really oh, believe that. That was my next point. You know, that was the he, – he helped his team on that play, obviously, um, you know, by saving two points. But it wasn't just that play. He was a defensive force for them for the second consecutive game. He's been the best defensive player on the field. He had three tackles for a loss, two quarterback hits and a sack. And, you know, his career now, he's up to 11 career postseason sacks, the fifth most all-time. And he's, like, 39 years old. It's just – insane he cares little for science and biological clocks he just says see you later out the window with you guys i don't care how you know he retired five years ago or whatever it was this is just absolutely nuts how silly do you think the Bengals feel you know they let him out <laughs> you know, just... but we'll give the Bengals credit um because of that season we got to see james harrison in hard knocks um just create terror and uh he hopped in a random person's car in the street to avoid uh to avoid the hard knocks cameras for just for a day which That's is, true. Which is a great story. Uh, speaking of the Chiefs, you thought you'd like to see them, you know, take on New England, and and you thought that they were the team. I never bought into them. I, I just, I just could never buy into them, and uh, and a lot of people had a go at me for it, and said they're good, but what have they achieved? You know, they've had all these regular season wins in the Andy Reid era, but the only playoff win they have is over Brian Hoyer. Like, I just until they can beat a good team in the playoffs, I'm not going to buy into them, and. After that first drive, um, the, the person who believes uh, well, Joe Flacco is elite, same guy that was a big Chiefs fan uh, that I talked with, said, here we go, it's it's on. I said, you watch them be quiet for the next 45 minutes after that first. They used all their good plays on the first drive, and, and they produced nothing for 45 minutes. Alex Smith completed 6 of 16 passes that traveled more than 10 yards down the field, and it wasn't that he missed open receivers. He just didn't see them. He just prefers to run, run out of bounds for a five-yard gain than you know, stand tall in the pocket and, and complete deep passes. I just, I could never buy into this offense and I could never buy into them winning in New England. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I really do. But they're fun. I mean, they're fun in a way and they're fun and that they, they make it work and they're fun. I mean, the Chiefs almost went to the AFC Championship game without Jamal Charles. And that, you know, that deserves a lot of credit. Uh, but you're right, and the Chiefs, for what it's worth, their greatest playoff game they've ever played in was uh, was the one in Indianapolis, which my yeah. my buddy jo- my buddy Y enjoyed. The second um, best uh, but... game in NFL history. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably true. Um, look, you know, people throw this term around a lot in sports, but it really is applicable to the Chiefs. They are always a bridesmaid, and they will never be a bride. That's just the yeah. way Andy Reid's teams are. They're just they're good enough to to break your heart. That's all they are. I mean, think about Andy Reid's Eagles went to five NFC Championship games. That's yeah. kind of the story here. You just can't get over the hump. No, exactly, and uh, that's why I couldn't. I just never bought into them. And, and even if they did win, I I couldn't. I would never pick them against New England. They were, they had to rely on on turnovers and special team errors. And unfortunately, um, you're not going to get them. I said that last week. You're not going to get them in New England, but that's exactly what New England did this week: was have errors and turnovers. But you're not going to get them next week. New England don't do that two weeks in a row. They've they've had their bad game, and I think the narrative sets up that 
New England are vulnerable, but I just can see I can see New England just coming out and just hammering and winning by twenty because they'd never played that bad two weeks in a row. The last talking point from this game is just how Travis Kelsey is a massive D bag. Um, <laughs> he cost himself and his team a fifteen yard penalty by pushing over Ross Cockrell in a complete brain snap and uh, put them. You know they had to settle for a field goal rather than a touchdown on that drive and cost his team the game in that remark. And then after the match, he said this about uh, the referee. He said. The moment's getting on our side, and then just as, and then we get our jugulars ripped out because the refs felt bad for James Harrison falling on the ground. It's ignorance. The ref number fifty-one, he shouldn't be able to wear a zebra jersey ever again. He shouldn't be able to work at Foot Locker, um, swearing in there multiple times. He's a D bag, massive D bag. This is what Travis Kelsey is to me. A lot of people thought he was Baby Gronk. Remember when he kind of had his coming out party. Travis Kelsey is like if Rob Gronkowski and Michael Bennett and Julian Edelman had a baby, all three of them. Yeah, it it would it would be like that. You know, put that on Netflix. Mind you, he's saying these comments when he's dressed in a leather jacket. Like, do you remember when leather jackets were cool? What is this? Two thousand and four. Yeah, come on, boy. He's saying this. He's saying this as a dude who has his own reality dating show. And I say this as a fan and talking to a friend of mine who enjoys reality dating shows. But still, Travis Kelsey, you know, dude, get you know, get a grip here, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Travis Kelsey can be a lot of fun. You know, the way he, he's got some of that Richard Sherman to him, not in an intellectual sense, but in a <laughs> challenge the league, challenge the man sense, and I like that. But there are moments where you have to shut your mouth and just move on and accept that you got yep. beat. Uh, yeah, baby Gronk acting like a baby. Uh, uh, and that's what I summed it up as. And uh, and that's uh, that was our uh, that was our recap. That's pretty much it. Um, so we'll be back uh, later on in the week to preview the AFC and NFC Championship game and talk a little news. Um, there's been some Colts rumors surrounding John Gruden and things like that that we'll address, but we've just gone way, way, way over time. And uh, before we wrap things up, RJ Ochoa, thank you very much for joining us again. I hope hope you'll be back on Friday. We just got to settle out some details and times. You're a busy man with uh, the number one Facebook Live uh, program that's may or may not be factually correct in the entire world is Ocho Live. But uh, where can people find other stuff of yours? Give yourself a plug before we wrap it up. Well, you can watch Ocho Live every day at uh, at approximately 3 p.m. Central Time on, on Facebook Live or Twitter or Periscope. Uh, you can follow me there at RG Ochoa or be my Facebook friend like Wise. Um, or uh, you can listen if you like podcasts, obviously the Woot and Wise show. You can listen to the podcast, which is just the audio from the show. iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and recently joining the V-Sport or Cowboy Sports Radio app. So... However you want, pick your poison. Fantastic. And uh, that wraps up the show. If you want to cheer on something, if you're neutral in this and you're Australian, Jordan Berry, the Australian punter for the Steelers, is one win away from the Super Bowl. He only had one punt in that game. He's a guy to watch. So if you need a team to root for or a narrative to root for or a storyline to root for, Jordan Berry, fantastic bloke, friend of the podcast. And uh, we'll we'll try and get him on the pod uh, uh, before the Super Bowl because uh, they're going to make it. Um, even though I've just said that I think the Patriots will win, I, I really hope for Jordan's sake that they uh, can march on to the Super Bowl. And actually, one last thing before I wrap it up. I know we're going over time. There was a tweet this week from someone, um, and I don't normally call out people like this. Um, I'm happy for people to hate on the show and, and you know, for, for any reason whatsoever and that don't like our opinions or, you know, you know, challenge us on things. I love that. 
But there was a tweet this week from uh, from someone that uh, said that uh, me and we were undeserving of, of hosting a Super Bowl party at, at Luna Park, which is the Luna Bowl. And I like to call someone out for that wow. because, um, yeah, you can call us out for bad takes or bad shows, but to say that we're undeserving, and that was the word that really ticked me off, undeserving, uh, you know, sir, if you if you want to follow me around for a week and see the amount of work that, that me and Whip put in and the amount of, you know, setting up and packing up that we do on a weekly basis across three shows, then you're more than welcome to. Um, and I, I, I really do not care for your opinions and I, uh, you know, to call me undeserving, uh, I just think it's petty and, and jealousy is, is a real thing, even in a Sydney based NFL podcast. So we somehow have people jealous of us. Um, it kind of makes me feel like we're getting somewhere, RJ. Hey, you got to have haters. You yeah. know what I mean? That's, but you know, you got to move on. Exactly. I, uh, I love the Wooten Y show. It is literally my second favorite podcast. Number one, obviously, they're around the NFL podcast. I think you which know, I we've, agree. We've with. Had That's this, fine. <laughs> we've had we've had this conversation. Yeah, but we again, have. My my second favorite podcast. I'm waiting on a merchandise line, and um, we... and for you guys to go on tour. And... <laughs> we had some shirts, but the NFL um they uh, sent me copyright infringements. So I just deleted them. You know, if, well, you, if you want, you I... could summons me to to court in 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 New York. I'd be happy to come. I am just going to make a shirt. That's yep. what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a shirt and lick on tattoos, and we'll have fun with it. Perfect. That wraps up the show. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, at JYNFL. You can follow RJ Ochoa. What's your Twitter handle, RJ? At RJ Ochoa. Perfect. Simple. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to get it wrong. Perfect. Peace out, guys.